Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I am right here face to face in my house with Miss Dengett and you have so many connections to all the Bluebell world, but never really were a Bluebell dancer. So when I first was doing interviews, I was trying to like kind of just do that. Mm-hmm. And then I've done Bluebell adjacent, like some people from the Moulin Rouge. But I was telling you before we interviewed, like you are an important part of the preservation of the showgirl legacy, mm-hmm. the, the showgirl, the dancer, the production show. And this feels so important in this time. And so of course I want to interview you because I also know you from before from Greg Thompson day. Yeah. And I have some of your art in my house. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was so excited when you said yes. Cause I know the timing didn't work out on the road trip mm-hmm. to see you. Cause you were in the middle of putting a show together. So this is a rare thing right now. And you know, after those glory days of Vegas and, and all that, and with COVID that there's a right. show with feathers right. made me so happy. So we got talking, I'm like, I just have to start recording. Your stories are so good. I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. So, well, I, I, before you started recording, I was just giving you my background just so you kind of knew where I came from because it, it's, it's that weird story that I didn't have the actual direct flow that most dancers did where they came and they auditioned, they got a show. I came from left field and ended up having, this is like my second chance at a career. And when I took it, I was already you know, on, on that point of being where I needed to transition to something else, because as much as I would have been so happy to stay a dancer in the background and just be in a show and travel around, um, the, an opportunity came up that was just too, um, too, too hard to ignore. And, um, and so when I started started dancing as a dancer with Greg Thompson. I was only dancing for him for a couple of years before he wanted, he needed a choreographer. And he tested me out a couple of times on a couple of numbers and a couple of shows. And then he just latched onto that. And so my quote dancing career was over because now I had to put shows together, choreograph them, teach them, and then be in them until the next show. So then I would like go in and I would sit in that show and then you say, oh, we have another show. Darn it. I gotta go. So you really didn't get to be a performer much for very long. Not much. No, I only I only danced when I came back after um, 20 years of having a hiatus of doing something completely different and um, coming back to it that I I just realized ooh, that little glare is weird um, that. Uh, he he needed a choreographer because his his longtime choreographer Joe Emery had a dance studio and she couldn't keep up with all the shows he was getting. He had an amazing um, agent, um, Irvin Arthur, who kept oh, yeah. selling shows for him. And so every time I turned around, he would have another show. So she he went from having just a couple shows, the ones in Bermuda, you know, and then he got Valley Forge, and then after Valley Forge then the cruise ships and then the islands and then Japan and then boom, boom, boom. And at at one point we had, we did about 26 openings 
in one year. Oh my God. All different shows. And that was um, in the eighties, like 86. And by then I was in full force at that point. Cause that was, I started in 82 with him. So by 86, it was full-time, full-time choreographing. And so I worked for I, Greg. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I worked for Greg in Bermuda in 83. Right. And we were rehearsing in Atlantic city and you were in the Atlantic city show as right. a dancer. So you would just kind of come back to it at that point. In 82, I was there June of 82, June 1st. Cause I'll never forget it was my mom's birthday. And June 1st, I was there a day early, even though on my contract, it said be there by June 1st. I had, I actually had to find a place to stay because I was there a day early and there was nobody there. So one of the guys backstage, um, uh, his name was BJ Allen. Do you know BJ? No. BJ Allen, who I actually ended up years later finding here in Las Vegas. And we just became such great friends for a long time. He says, you can come home with me. I've got an extra room. You can stay with me overnight. And then the next day, everybody else came in. But I, I flew in from Puerto Rico with eight bags. That's how little I knew about traveling. <laughs> eight bags. And, uh, and then we were, we were basically stationed in Atlantic City at the Golden Nugget. The Golden Nugget was only a couple years old at that time. Yeah. And gambling was just exploding in, in Atlantic City. So all the hotels were getting shows and there were shows up and down. The, the boardwalk and it was just amazing. I just loved it there. And so then, I want to go backwards because okay. you, what was your growing up with dance? Were you uh, just doing it for fun as a kid or were you thinking this was going to be your profession? <laughs> I thought that. I thought that when I was in dance class, it was because my mom saw something in me that I was going to be a fabulous dancer. Oh no. That's not why I got into dance. According to my mother, the reason why she put me in dance is because when I was, um, you know, like three, four years old, I was extremely pigeon-toed. And because I couldn't walk without falling over, my mom was really concerned that I was going to be some crippled, you know. So she took me to a doctor and to see what they could do, you know, is there special braces you can put on her? What? And he says, well, we could put her in corrective shoes and that would cost, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my mother, of course, says, well, that's ridiculous. We can't afford that. And he says, don't tell anyone I tell you this, but if you really want to fix this, all you have to do is have your daughter wear her shoes on the opposite feet and then oh. put her in dance classes. That's how I got in dance class. Really? Myself from, from tripping over my, oh my I have talked to people I've interviewed that had polio that mm -hmm. people who had other not bow-legged uh, pigeon toe, but you're the first pigeon toad there was yeah. a lot of us that was like oh that's why yeah and my hips were really turned in because of that and yeah. which was really incredibly frustrating so the whole time I'm in dance class every single day because I fell in love with it and I would go from school, I would come home, I would dump off my books, I would get my dance bag. And remember those little boxes that had the yes. little dolly shoes and the tap shoes on top? Grab my bag and I would walk to dance class, which was about a half a mile away every single night. 
And because my mom couldn't have really afford a lot back then, um, you know, I had three other brothers and sisters. My dad was working. My mom was a home, you know, back in the 50s, we're talking, um, and early 60s. I would work at the studio and clean the mirrors and help around there and, and help to pay off the, the tuition that my mom, you know, made this deal with her. And um, that was, that's how I got into it. But the frustration of that though, is when I realized I was never going to be that beautiful ballerina. I was never going to have that Dave LePay that goes up, you know, cause my hips would never open up enough no matter what I did, it wasn't going to ever change my body structure. And I, again, all this information would have been good. <laughs> I didn't hear about this till much later. So um, I remember having my heart broken that I couldn't be a ballet dancer. And I remember quitting for a week. And then I just said, you know, I'm going to be a great tap dancer. <laughs> and I went back the next day. <laughs> Oh, I love it. After it hit me, uh, there's lots of other dads. Right. So I, I loved, and I had that until I, um, until I had my first professional job, which was in um, summer during, during my high school, when I went to Six Flags Over Texas and worked harder than I've ever worked in my life since. How many and shows was that a day? It was seven shows a day, wow. seven shows a day, wow. seven days a week. And if you ever go to a theme park and see those kids doing theme park shows, appreciate how hard they work. But yeah. it, it, I, it was never, I never felt, it was almost like, I guess what it would be like if you gave birth where they say you forget the pain. Cause all I remember is how much joy it was, you know, to do that job yeah. and how sad I was when I left. And then I got married. And when you get married, you get a real job. I had a real job. Mm -hmm. But then it comes back to you. And before I thought before I settled down and had babies, I better just get this out of my system one more time. I went to Vegas and I did audition to be a, a Bluebell. I went to Jubilee because it had just reopened. This was after the fire. Yeah. The 80s. And um, I, I tried to get a job there. And without seeing me dance or anything, they just put me and measured me. And they said, you know, you can do the, the topless line. And I went, I can't, with my topless, uh, I can't say that to my husband without him getting crazy. Right. <laughs> so um, I realized that I was a quarter of an inch too short to be in the covered line. So I said, okay. So that's when I went down the street, got a job with Lenny Miller, and I went to Puerto Rico. And, then, and we had that overlap because I, yeah. I was there probably within a little bit of time when you were there. We've worked for a lot of the same producers. This is what was so fun. Like I've never known your dance history until Greg Thompson. Yeah. How did you get that job? What even, were you still married in this? Like I was still married, but my husband um, allowed me to go and cause I said, just give me one contract. Let me just see if I can get the job. And it was, I said, I'm going to go to Vegas and give me two weeks. And if I don't have a job in two weeks, I'll come home and forget the whole thing. Because I really was prepared to just let it go. But I got the job offer two days before I had to get home. And it was with Lenny Miller. And it was $300 a week. That was a lot back then. Well, it, it was. But then again, I had to get my own place. 
So when you're in Puerto Rico, you have to get your own housing. And, yeah. and so when we got there, I just went, oh my gosh. And, and when they said I had to get my own housing, I thought, oh, okay, but I don't think I can afford that. But they needed somebody right away. And to go to Puerto Rico, they paid me an extra $25 a week, which was good because then I could, I could get my own place, which was $600 a week. So it was like half, it was like half of my paycheck. Um, uh, I mean, $600 a month. Yeah. So, um, so it was, it, I was able to take half of my paycheck and pay my, my rent. And then a third of that, I, I, I would spend on high heels because I <laughs> had the best high heels in Puerto Rico. Oh my, I love the shopping in Puerto You were in Condado, right? Is that the yes. show? And yes. you had Joan Pale for it because we were talking before, like I was at the El San Juan with uh, mm-hmm. Ashton Kochman. There was an ice show at the palace, right. but we all the show people would hang out and we yeah. would go to the Condado I because I met loved... you there and didn't even remember. I was there it's... like eight. I left Hello Hollywood, Hello in 80. And then I think it was that January mm-hmm. and I was in Puerto Rico. It was supposed to be six months. And they kept extending the contract. Mm-hmm. And I, and then like, I wanted to work for Miller Reach. I wanted to work with Joan Palethorpe and I wanted to work Ronnie Lewis. And it was Ronnie Lewis. Cause everybody was always talking about him, all the dance classes. Right, right. I would see that. And so we had to get out of our contract. So Miller Reich got us out of that and went to Montreal. But that cast, I was in love with them because they got to do. Mm-hmm. Did you take class in Puerto Rico? Because I used to take from Rosalia and Rosita. My favorite classes ever were in Puerto Rico. We it did was kind of that Betsy that, Hogg. We did that incredibly hard choreography twice a night. You didn't need any more. <laughs> I, was ex- I was dead. I was this big around. I was just, just tiny. And I, I, I couldn't imagine taking classes. You know, I just, I recovered is what I did. And again, yeah. I was old. I was a little bit older than most of the girls there. And, um, but I, I'll never forget all the, the people there that I met, you know, Zip Zimmerman, we called her Zip. And she was the most amazing dance captain. And I just, I just saw her um, a couple years ago. Now she's got like two little girls that she's, um, and she's uh, exactly the same, just so sweet. And I've never known anybody to be so amazingly um, able to control that show. She was in constant rehearsal because people were coming and going. She never stopped rehearsing. And then all wow. those beautiful costumes were all um, beautiful costumes. And, um, and that chair dance, sing, 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 the chair dance. Do you remember that? I think I think it was that? the same show. It must have been the same one you were in. Yeah, it was. It was because yeah, Cookie time. Cookie was in the show. Oh yeah. So Cookie. I think there's, and then uh, I can think of some other people in that. Gail Gail was in the show. Um, trying to think who else you might know. Oh. But I remember Wait, Cook- this was this was also the year when Siegfried um, and Roy were waiting for that for their for the Mirage to be built, and they were on vacation. And they were staying at our pool. And I remember seeing them at the pool, just kind of hanging out at the pool. And I'm going, oh, my God, those are those famous, you know, magicians from Las Vegas. <laughs> and it was so weird because when we, I finally got in with Greg and got all of that and then ended up in Buffalo. That's where I, um, that's where I met Tiger, Tiger Martina, yeah. who was like 17, 16, 17 years old. And we hired him and his sister, Jenny who eventually became the dance captain for Siegfried and Roy. 
so wow. it's, it's so weird when you do see all these connections and all these people and they're all interwoven and that's what i love about our industry is that mm -hmm. it's so incredibly entangled in this mesh of of people that you bump into or have something to do with and then they turn up somewhere else and, and there's always a reason for everything that happens in your career. That's what um, I like about it. Well, I think it's like, just throw about four names out there and we're going to know some of the same people. As soon as you said cookie, I'm like, cookie, want to have a great oh, picture I'll send you. We had a hat party, like all our cast would do parties together. So how did, where did Greg come in? Cause I, you have to tell about your trip to Vegas and where you stayed and why. I still, <laughs> I still have, well, when I, I told you the story about how I auditioned for Greg. In, in, in Las Vegas, where Marianne Lamb gave me my first wedgie because I, I didn't even know that everything has to go thong in your <laughs> the thong back in uh, the early, the late 70s and early 80s. We didn't know what that was, but in Las Vegas, I, I really loved it. Um, but anyway, um, when I, when I, he offered me a job and I told him I had to think about it. I said, can you give me till tomorrow to answer you? And so when he said, okay. And the next day I said, okay. I talked to my husband at two in the morning in Minneapolis. I called him up and I said, I have this chance to do this job and, and it's only for three months and then, and then I'll be fine. And then I'll come home and everything will be fine. And he says, okay. You know, so he gave me permission to take <laughs> this job and, uh, so I call up Greg Thompson and I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take job. Oh, we just, oh, we already gave it to somebody else. I was prepared oh to God. completely change my job, leave my husband, close my business, everything to do this job. And then, so then I, that's when I decided I had to come back to Vegas in person for two weeks and try to get a job. And, and the last, the only job I could get was, from Lenny Miller going to Puerto Rico. And that's how I ended up in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but the whole part. time, the whole time I was there, I wrote back to Greg Thompson and told him, as soon as an opening opens, you know, let me know. And I still have the telegram because back then there was no emails. Oh yeah. Yep. I have the telegram from his um, comptroller that said, you want the job? Be in Atlantic City June 1st no, here's some money to help you with your travel. No, you want the job, show up. Oh, so wow. And that's, and that wow. was my first job. Yeah. And that's a show I saw you in when I was, cause I stayed with Miriam Lamb when we were rehearsing for Bermuda. I, I remember it, I came up to use your phone. Cause I remember meeting you cause Marianne didn't have a phone. We had cell phones. Uh -huh. And so she asked you if I could come up and, and talk oh. to my boyfriend who I was missing. So Aww. Here's this stuff you probably don't remember. I remember like in your apartment going, Oh my gosh, she's beautiful. And then I saw the show and I loved um, it was the best of Broadway. I it was, think was that show. Called Follies on Broadway. Yes. It was Follies on Broadway with Julie Miller. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was our first show there. Did you no, that was our second show there? That was our second show there. I think. Okay. The first show was called, or the second show was called, um, it was Boardwalk Follies. And, but you remember seeing Broadway. So yeah, I saw the Broadway yeah. one. Yeah. I saw uh, a lot of, his, a lot of his, like, cause I was in Florida and he had a show there. Mm -hmm. I feel like wherever I was, Greg had a show. Like you said, there was, he had so many going at the same time. And well, my, if, it was, if it was the shows in Florida that by then I was choreographing those shows. Cause we yeah. went from there. Um, 
after Atlantic City, that's when he started sending me out. And then there we, we closed for a little while and, um, and then went to Buffalo. Then we went, even went back to Minneapolis where I was still married <laughs> to my husband. And I thought, oh, this is the perfect time to give up this career and just, you know, end it right here. Oh my gosh, you were hooked. So did your husband just keep saying, okay, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And each time was like, yeah. maybe this is the end of it. Wow. Yeah. I finally so, ended up um, from there. I went to, went to New Orleans. And after New Orleans is when we, after that, we went to Buffalo. And that's where I met Tiger and Jenny and all those kids. And um, that's when, when we just had this um, tribute to Ron Lewis. Yeah. His event. Tiger was, um, and Peter were the two that helped me uh, put it together. So we all, I think I missed it by a week and a half because I didn't work with Ron Lewis, but I took everybody who took, that he taught his style. I was just hooked on that style. Like the popcorn, like I taught a little combo, trying to remember all this stuff is still in my body. It doesn't look the same, but I'm like, I still remember how good this felt to, to wreck your neck in class and just you're through your head and like, Oh, I'm going to pay for this. But it was so good. It was like the most satisfying just full yeah. out choreography. And it was his choreography that actually changed the projection of what dance was in a, in a production show here in Vegas. And that's the reason why I felt the responsibility to put this together, primarily to preserve the fact that he and his contribution to dance changed Vegas. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't have the shows that they had without his intense you know style and his style was you know it all he he came from broadway i mean he grew up in new york so he studied under you know fossey and all these people so you take fossey and you take funk and you put it together and you have ron lewis and his style was original extremely original and he was he was demanding and precise and everybody wanted to work for him because he was hard and mean and um but when you when you got a good accolade from him, it really meant something. And everyone mm. was lined up to work with him. And I too didn't never got to work with him. I I worked with him, but I never got to work for him. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were actually working on a project together at one point that never happened. But um, I hung out with him when we were choreographing um, the um, showgirls at the Rio the one that was, we were doing yeah. for, um, for there, but also for um, Steve Wynn at the Golden Nugget, where we did the only topless show from Steve Wynn. Steve oh, really? Wynn never had a topless show in his properties. And we were the only topless show that he ever had in his uh, properties. The, the first and the only, actually, after that, oh. he had one. So that was a show called his wife, um, Elaine, named it. It was called um, Hot Stuff. Mm. Not a great name, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, we joke about one of the worst show names was Greg's when they took Follies Go Hollywood and brought it to the Nugget in Reno and called it Psst. So <laughs> that was Janice every- Waga. That, that was, yeah. that. Oh, it John was. Squaga. Okay, that wasn't great. It wasn't great. It was Janice Waga who thought it was going to be so cool to just go... Psst. Who, by the way, just recently died. Oh, wow. just passed away. Oh, this has been a hard year for those people that were like the legends. 
I know. So I know we we would take class in in Reno and the cast, and they go, "Are you guys from the pissed cast?" And we go, "Yes, we were the pissed dance. We just quit trying to explain it. We were just pissed." But I'm sure it was clever in somebody's mind. And then and uh, the poster was, I think Janet or it was Janet on the poster with pissed on it. So who would, who influenced your choreography? Because your choreography is is everything. very unique. Yours. Yeah. So is it a yeah. mishmash of everything you of watched? everything? Yeah, I because I traveled so much, I got to I got to take a lot of dance from a lot of dance teachers. There's a there's a teacher who I who I two um, people who I really admire that I can remember that really inspired me was uh, his name is John Command. He was from Minneapolis and he was a um, theatrical choreographer and director. And he just had this great, had this great energy or still has it. He's, he's still alive and he's still amazing. I tried to get him to come up here during my Showgirl Folly show to perform and just to do a number. And he really wanted to do it. He just couldn't quite get it together, but I'm going to get him here. And um, and he, he really inspired me to choreograph. And I really learned a lot by working under him. And then um, another choreographer, a dance teacher, producer, um, uh, innovative creator is uh, Myron Johnson out of Minneapolis, who also has um, a company, has a ballet company. And he's just, I, I would take classes with him and he would, you know, he was the first um, to really think way out of the box. Like he would do a, a dance number with a high top tennis shoe and a toe shoe. And I'd never seen anything done like that. And his, his bar was always done to a hard rock, like a hard rock uh, music and not, you know, you know, the, he yeah. always did everything what you didn't expect. His dance combinations were inspiring. In fact, I still to this day remember having an actual physical orgasm during one of his combinations. Oh, really? Yes. I'm sitting there and I'm all of a sudden, I just started sweating and I went, oh my, oh my goodness. <laughs> and I said, can I do it again? <laughs> I was going to say, can we set up some Zoom classes with him? Funny. <laughs> I said, can we, yeah, can we make that a Zoom, Zoom regular thing for all of us ladies? <laughs> I want to know if anybody else had one of those because I can't be the only one that had uh, that. Well, that's, we'll put a shout out and see. Okay, find out. PQ. No, it was intense. I remember it being very intense. But um, also Bob Fosse, of course, I loved Fosse. And one of yeah. the shows I did um, in Tahoe, I did a 12-minute, um, it used to be 16-minute, but it got cut you know, of course, which was needed to be a 16 minute tribute to Bob Fosse, where we had a stage that we designed that was on a two turntables and we had a structure on it. And every time, every time it would turn, it'd be another um, number that Bob Fosse did in some show. We did Steam Heat, we did, um, we did Cell Block Tango. We did, well, we did all of these different numbers to, um, and a tribute to Fosse where if you can see me now and um, and every single number had some kind of thing, you know, what I like to call a chocolate chip, you know, where you always come across that chocolate chip, that one extra thing, either uh, uh, canes. I, we figured out a way to get canes to pop out of the staircases 
we had a guy in the bottom of the staircase because it was on a curved staircase and it was really tall. So a guy could get inside on the inside and pop all these canes that were all preloaded. And he, he, all he did was pull a pin and a little rubber band would shoot it up through the hole and the dancer would catch it and roll it under. And he would go down on the beats, you know, that music, um, dun, 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 And all of those were a cane popping up out of the, the, the uh, staircase. It was very cool. And uh, we worked on that in, in, um, in Reno, in Tahoe for the Tahoe opening. And, uh, and that's where we did our big Broadway tribute show there. It was really good. We had a Rolls Royce on stage, came out. Shannon O'Keefe was my lead dancer. And even her puppy had a moment in the show where he walked across the stage. It was just, <laughs> it, was, it was a circus. <laughs> How much freedom did you have with Greg? Did you, he just said, here's the, the number, make it like this. Or did you get to have some say as a choreographer and the- I think by that time in the 90s he trusted me enough to look to me one of the one of the my favorite things about working with Greg um, was that we could sit down at a table and he would set up the scene and then I would throw in ideas like I could imagine in my mind all the things that if I could just say it it would happen and then yeah. sometimes he would do it. And then sometimes he would go, you're out of your mind. You know, that, uh-huh. that'll never happen. But it never stopped me from throwing it out there. So yeah. the more I could throw out there and the more I learned about what is possible and what isn't possible, it was a, it was a 35 year long course in paying attention to everything. Lighting, yeah. set design, uh, costume design. And that's where my art skills actually came into, into, good, um, into good use because he would, Greg Thompson was incredibly, is incredibly talented besides being uh, very articulate with print. And he loved calligraphy. He loved to draw all of the, the show outlines in, by hand. And he would do the title of it and he would do it all in, pencil and pen and and stars and details and it was always just incredible I have all I have a whole collection of all the shows we ever did where he actually drew the 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 um and and then printed out by hand the whole um all the the numbers and who was in the number and what props were on stage it all fit on one page he was that he was that perfect um put the put everything on one page kind of guy yeah, everything had to fit on one piece of paper. So um, I remember one time we were having a discussion about a, a number and he was drawing a costume. And I said, great, we're doing this number. You can't do that with that costume. I said, they're, they're, they're dancing on chairs. You've got a big tail. They're going to step on the tail or the boys are going to step on the tail. You can't do that. Oh, so you know so much about costumes. Why don't you draw them? And then I went, fine, I will draw them. And so I took over drawing the designs. Really? Yes, that's how it happened. He, yeah. he just said, you think you're so smart, you do it. And I did. <laughs> don't and, take that challenge. But then you realize as a choreographer, if you don't have a handle in how the music is edited, what the costumes are, what the props are, 
how the set is laid out, you can't imagine the number without all those elements. And because we were all under one roof in a production company in Seattle, most of the time, it was, um, it was conducive to get into everything. And even to the point where our audio engineer was cutting tape, you know, this is reel to reel tape, you had to cut it, tape it, cut it out. And it was like, er, 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 no no cut it and we go play it and there'd always be this click i go no put it back hours of that and now it's in a a piece of a button you know yeah but i learned all the old school ways and it just makes you appreciate everything that's so easy now oh my i remember watching somebody with a reel to reel when we would do recitals Mm -hmm. and oh my gosh yeah people have no idea like the amount of time yeah well, i'm also thinking of some overlap because uh lipstick girls mm-hmm. you were choreographing that for japan and then i got to do something i i was teaching your choreography for because you were doing so many things i'm yeah. going to take out the video and i got to set i got to choreograph one of my own numbers which i was so excited because i always wanted to do that uh-huh. um and then i also remember the dance studio i taught out in redmond sometimes they needed girls and like i had some seniors and you guys would come in to talk to them about auditioning yeah. And I, this is when your hair was big and black big hair. Yeah. You came, you came in and you had like boots and leather. And I think you guys had a fancy car and Greg sure. came in with his boots scary. and every, you walk through this small town studio and everybody parts like, is that Cher? Who is that? Like, they were just like, almost bowing, like there's someone regal and important. We don't know who they are. And so then I would send some of the dancers, like you worked with Amy Fairbanks and, and Solaski yeah. and Kristen Bauman. So I was trying to send like it's weird because there was still a lot of opportunity. We're now, you know, trying to tell our dancers this thing. They have no idea what I'm talking about. But there's these right. shows that you get paid money, and they like tall girls, and you get paid to dance and travel. And yeah. so I love that that connection, um, especially um, that you guys are based in Seattle, was so great. But how? Okay, I'm going all over the place. I really want to get to your art and your show now and your costume okay. design. You you have so many good things. Did, did it just kind of ride its course? Uh, like when the shows, there's less shows happening. Were you there kind of to the end of this era? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember, I remember we're here in Vegas. We had just replaced skin tight, which was running six years at Harris on the strip. And, um, and then Greg says, we're going to, we're going to take that one down. And the reason why it ran so long is because they did that television um, reality show called um, the e-channel did a reality show remember yeah yeah, yeah. It was called um it was called um nearly famous yes is there yes. is there a way to find that that's still out there somewhere i'm sure it's still i'm sure you can find it you just look up nearly famous on the e-channel they may have it on the archives but um they did they did episodes for like i think it was weeks and because of that exposure happening that year um, they filmed it and then they would release it. They released it the next year. Um, the show added, it added like four or five years of really popularity just because everybody fell in love with the characters. They wanted to know how Shannon's back was because she was always going to the doctor and getting shots in her back. And then how is, um, how is Tony D'Andrea? And is he, is he going to get fired? And it was just like, it was like phenomenal. We were just sitting there going, Oh my God. I and remember, this. No, I remember that show. Wow. And so we were there for nine 11. I'll never forget. Um, 
one of the the singers in our show, singer dancers, um, Daryl Ross's father worked at the Pentagon. And there was this moment where he didn't know if his dad, because his dad worked in the wing where that plane went through. Yeah. And um, we didn't know if his dad was there or not. And fortunately enough, he was late to work that day and wasn't there at his desk when um, that thing hit. So it was like, wow. you know, but I'll never forget how that 9-11, just the whole town just stopped. And I kept thinking, oh my God, this is the perfect time for a film crew to come down Las Vegas Boulevard and film nobody on the street, you know, because it was just so eerie and so weird. I I actually had a friend from um, Seattle coming up to visit me that that morning. And I remember I I was up early and that's how I happened to watch the, um, the tower, the second tower go down because he was supposed to be here at 6.30 in the morning and his plane was in the air when this whole thing happened. And so rather than land in Las Vegas, all the planes that were in the air had to go back to where they came from. So he never made it here. And I, I, um, I wanted to know, I asked him, I said, do you still have that ticket? Cause I never got a refund from that. But um, yeah, that was, that was a phenomenal time to be here. But Anyway, that show ended and we did, uh, we did a show called Bareback, which, you know, which was sound, seemed like a cool name for a show, which was a topless kind of country show, you know, and the rodeo was coming in just at the time we were doing this changeover. Greg spent all this money on this show and everything. And uh, something happened that the Harris was responsible for putting together all the marketing for the show. And they picked out a logo for the show, come to find out the artist who picked out this logo, picked out something on the internet that was copywritten. And all of the, all of the publicity, all the ads, all of the billboards, everything was up and they, they got this letter of cease and desist from using the likeness of their logo, which was a belt buckle. That's what it was, it was a belt buckle that they that they stole from the internet without permission. And, and at the same time, Harris decided they wanted to four wall the room. So the two wall deal that we had, they wanted to cancel at that point. And Greg said, okay, well, I'll go, I'll four wall the room. I just put all this money into this show. I want to at least get some money back from it. And they said, yes, but then you have to redo all your marketing and we're not going to pay for it. So he just basically closed that show. And at the same time, we had a show over at Rio called Eroctica. And um, that show um, closed because Prince came into the Rio and Gate wrote a check that he wanted our showroom. And the Rio said, absolutely, Mr. Prince. <laughs> we just have this silly old show in here. We will, we will buy them out and send them on their way. So we oh. lost two shows in one in one weekend. Put all those kids out of work in one weekend, and uh, that's when Greg said, I, "I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here." And at that oh. time, I don't think I think he had a couple small shows playing. Um, Japan hadn't hadn't um, had a show for a while because of uh, their um, economy had fallen, and so 
the two shows we had in Vegas, the shows we had, um, we didn't have any ship shows at the time. It was just pretty, you know, just pretty here and there. And uh, that's when Greg said, it's time. This is, I'm getting out. We had mm. shows in Reno. We had our showrooms in Reno, but they were, you know, it was just, it, it was the time for um, the hotels were changing over into four walling. Like they didn't want to be in show business anymore. They wanted to be in renting business. It all kind of happened about the same time then. Cause it feels like, that you know, everyone cool did Cirque du Soleil did things, but also the, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'd go to Bermuda every year. I, my favorite place in the world. Right. Went back yeah. to the Southampton and the doorman is still there. And mm-hmm. like, when I said I was in the Follies, he calls the cab drivers. He calls everybody because they remember, remember those days. Yeah. They just said that was the best time because the ships would come in. They would take them to see the, the show. show. They would spend the money so in the all casino. The, all the cab drivers had work all all night long, you know, every week, every day. And they, when the, I was down there, uh, the huge ships coming in and they moved it down to Dockyard instead of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So people get out and they just kind of stay there. They might do like the drunken excursion, you know, like go drink on a boat or, yeah. or they go to Horseshoe and then they go back to the ship because they want to eat their meals that are paid for. Right. So they don't really spend money in the restaurants. They're not right. really... So that's, it's hurt the economy because that was same with Puerto Rico is the ships would come in, the tourists take them over to the three shows and they spend their money gambling. And it was just like, if it's just all that kind of just, yeah, just to see it all go away and like, who's still hanging in there? Like cruise ships, there's still some of that around, but you know, like for the dancers, I'm glad we had our time when we did, did. but these young dancers that were like, like put out of work because of of the wind, like there's like, where, where do they go now after just getting started in their career well and you know at this time this was right before the big 2008 crash here in vegas then in in 2008 this town crashed and harder than any other economy in the country really because of the tourism without tourism um in 9-11 um that tourism again it was devastating it took it took all the way up to 2008 and then the the bubble burst here the the uh, real estate bubble burst here my little condo at one point was worth $500,000 my little three bedroom condo which i bought for like 180 180 went up to 500,000 so it was like this crazy bubble that just burst and when it did this everybody lost their homes everybody had to move out everybody you know, uh, it was just awful. And then, uh, and that was the time when Greg got out. He got out just right under the wire when the whole economy here crashed. You know, and now that I've been here since 2008 and nine, I, I was lucky to pick up another producer. His name is Kevin, Kevin Jeffries with Kevin and Caruso. And I started doing magic shows for on ships. My two least favorite things, and I'll, I, I still, even to this day, magic shows and ships. <laughs> and I had to do both of them at the same time. Oh but it kept me working for, um, for uh, 10 years, eight to 10 years. I choreographing? Had choreographing. Magic shows, which, by the way, became better because of the choreography and the concepts and the ideas. Because yeah. magic is only about, the magic show is all the tricks are pretty much the same. It's all in the, in the packaging around them yeah. and the way that you present them. And the guys that I work with, 
are all about if it's longer than two minutes, it's too long. I need it to be boom, 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 and, and then boom, 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 boom. Everything needs to just snap and go and go and go. And then all of a sudden you realize you've seen, you know, eight illusions in, in an hour and they're just full of dancers and sliding and straps and flags and everything going around. You go, what, is that a magic show or what was that? But oh. it was just fast. Yeah. And on the ships and the ships kept getting faster and faster and faster and cutting them down low and long and long, shorter and shorter to the point where the, the shows were 45 minutes and want them in and out because they want them just like in the casinos, they want them gambling and they want them drinking. <sighs> and the, thing, the two things that they make money on on the ships is not the food and not the entertainment. It's the drinking and the gambling. And they don't want them sitting in a in a showroom for an hour and a half, you know. So oh, man. Yeah, it's been in and out. Yeah, that's so interesting to see the progression of because mm -hmm. uh, Athena, who has her podcast, Showgirls Life, she's talking about how the shows were kind of to keep the wives, it was for the wives, so the husbands would have the money, they would go gamble and the wives would go see a show. I had never heard that perspective on it before, but it's like so topless for the women. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but then like, then you get your husbands in there. It was just interesting, you know, when you think of the mob days of Vegas and then the corporate right. change and then like right. faster, get them drinking more and all. <laughs> Well, then it became, it, it was all about the square footage. You know, how much money can that square foot generate is all they can come up with because there's some bean counter upstairs going, if you got rid of that showroom, you could put in there, you know, a hundred slot machines that will turn around this much money. So what, do you want to have a show in there where people can just watch a show? Or do you want this much money? And when it's about the bottom line, then they said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll keep the showroom and we might have a show in there or whatever, but we're going to rent it out. So it's worth this much money. So we'll keep the showroom because I think, I think there's a law. As long as you have a gaming license, you have to have entertainment venues on the property that there is a law in really? the gaming license that requires that. You have to have live music playing or you have to have a show offered to give you that whole experience. So a lot of times they couldn't get rid of the showroom, but that doesn't mean they have to be in the showroom business. What they're right. gonna do is they're gonna become landlords. You wanna do a show. You're the one that wants to be in a show. You're the one that is a producer that wants to be in show business. So that's what they do now. They target people that want that have that weakness of wanting to open up a show, knowing full out that it's going to whatever they think it's going to cost. You have to multiply that times 10 and you have to last for at least a year at a loss before you can even make a dime. Really? Yeah. So that's what happened to the industry here. That and the fact that all the hotels didn't have to compete with each other anymore because they were all owned by the same companies. Because all yeah. the corporations took over, you know, Harris, Caesars took over two thirds of every hotel that's on the strip they own. So what do they care if you go see that show or go see this show? As far as they're concerned, they're getting paid. So they're that, not yeah. gonna care which show right. 
So they're not going to help one right. show over another. They're going to say, we're doing our part by having the people here. It's up to you to get them in the room. Because I remember back in the glory days of it, like whatever yeah. show open, like Don Arden would try to outdo himself. Like if he had a show at MGM, well, now Valleys, and if he had the Dunes or the Stardust, right. that each one, and they could be running at the same time. Like, well, the new one has to be better because also the dancers, like, I want to go to the newest, freshest. Mm -hmm. And like the whole thing is, yeah, they're competing with each other. You want to have the best show. And I don't know how people did, you go to Vegas to see a show and gamble and to eat like really super cheap buffets. Right. Well, because food, food at that time was a draw. Gambling yeah. was the draw. Entertainment was the way to keep them at your hotel. But if, mm. if you come in and you're eating the food and you're gambling and you want to go see the show down the street, they don't care. It's yeah. their hotel too. Wow. So there's, not, there's no real incentive for them to promote your show because as far as they're concerned, they're already paid. Um, and that's what happened. Before the shows, the hotels owned the show. They were you know, they had pride in the show. They wouldn't put anything in the showroom that they didn't stand behind or support or promote or try to, you know, utilize. And uh, it was it was a perk that we yeah. give your customers to stay in the hotel. And now they don't. Now it's not. Now now yeah. everything you have to pay to see a show. Just like I remember the day when they quit putting the the fluffy robes in, in the, in the hotel rooms. Remember that? Yeah. All of a sudden, cause they, they want you to steal them and take them home. Right. And I remember the day when those quit being put in the hotel rooms and I knew it was over. I knew it was, they didn't care how much, they didn't care um, what you took away um, as far as they wanted to make sure you paid for it. So if you're going to eat dinner, you're going to pay for it. If you want to go um, have drinks, drinks went from what a buck, two bucks It'd to twelve so bucks. A drink at the drink at the hotel bar right now is between twelve and fifteen dollars. It's crazy. And then you know it just—they're not showing you love because mm -hmm. they. I guess they just don't have to. I don't know. But it's but not, it was the bottle service. Think, the thing was talking about the bottle service. Like people can just rent out and have a party. And yeah. pay so much money and never leave that spot and spend all their money. And then we were also noticing the marquees, how you'd come in before and you'd have the Jubilee mark, you know, the shows everywhere, like Blue Man, right. all those. Now it's erectile dysfunction, injury lawyer, and debt. <laughs> it's yeah. like every other sign, like, oh, yeah. there's no like beautiful show billboards no. anywhere. It's just all like, you're pretty screwed. Lawyer. You've lost all your money, you've lost your erection. And you, yeah. <laughs> And, like, and welcome to probably killed somebody, but we right. got lawyers for that. Right. We got lawyers and we got really expensive drinks. Yeah. So I'm really curious because there's like three prongs of what I want to ask you because it seems okay. like you're doing all of them. Mm -hmm. Is your you produced your own show? So was that after Greg where you started putting your own shows together? Well, when I ended up, um, I was doing the shows with Kevin and Cruz, and I was on cruise ships and stuff, and then my mom became ill. And I, I, I bought a condo here in Las Vegas when I was living in, in the shop in, in uh, Seattle. Oh. The reason why I lived there is because I was on the road, you know, like 42 weeks out of the year. I was never home. 
Yeah. So it was crazy for me to have an apartment or anything. So I, we had an apartment inside the office and that's where I lived. So when I came, I just repacked, did my laundry up, oh, you're off again. So I would come there and I would, we would do production there and then we would, I would leave. So I bought a condo because I needed an investment, but I didn't want to live in it, but my mom did. So my mom moved here to Vegas from Hawaii and I bought her this condo. And in this condo, she lived here and she worked at Caesars for an artist. And, um, and she loved it here until she got sick. And when she became ill, um, she had, when she found out she was six, it was, it was like four, stage four lung cancer. And she only lived for another nine months. So I basically came here and this was 2008, 2009. And remember I talked oh, about man. crash. Yeah. So there was no selling this place and then going back to Seattle and living my life. Cause I thought if I'm going to retire from show business, here I am in Seattle. I just got my new apartment. I just furnished it. I'm on first Avenue. I got this apartment right on first Avenue on first in union. And oh, nice. Right on the corner. It was beautiful. And I was so excited about it. And then when my mom got sick, I had to move here. I had to close out my apartment there. I moved here, moved in to this condo when she passed. And then I was, I'm going off oh, reckon I got stuck here now in Vegas in this heat and this weather. And what am I going to do? And that's when um, a friend of mine said there, well, there's two um, retirement communities here that have theaters and they're always looking for entertainment. And I said, I can open up my book right now and come up with people who I know who are just sitting around watching, you know, football and golf on, on the weekend <laughs> that could come and do a show for them. So I ended up um, just booking my friends in these showrooms to do shows. And, and it became like a full-time thing, but I would get one show a month from each property. So that's two shows. And then um, just recently, um, about three years ago, I, I started a comedy show in like during the week, like on a Wednesday. Yeah. They love that because these people, as much as they are older and they're, but they're, they're, you know, over the age of 55, but they're not retired and they, nobody wants to get in their car and drive to the strip. Nobody wants to go and, and go see a show on the strip because it's nobody. So I said, I'll bring the strip to you. So that's really what I did. So they don't go anywhere. So I have comedy now. I have two comedy shows in each location now. And I have, um, and then, then the two shows a month in the main room. So I've got six shows a month now. They're all different. They're all one night. Yeah. But I have to, I have like, um, dates for the next um from now until 2023 already booked when did they start opening it up for shows again they during they COVID? started in may in one okay. theater and then um this month um i'm doing my second one in that theater and then anthem which is is starting in september but i'm doing the first comedy show the first public show in that in that property tomorrow actually i'm gonna do a comedy show there Oh my God. And I saw the earth, wind and fire. Wait, it was earth, yes. wind and fire. That's I was like, I want to go back down. Cause I was, I oh. went to Ju uh, Jackie's place in Summerlin and she said oh. that that's kind of the show that you did with the showgirls fault. They can have that without going to the strip because they want to oh. see all that and not have to go down there. So was that, where did um, showgirls follies, showgirl follies? Follies. I started that in 2010. Cause when I first moved here, 
I had that same problem. There was all these dancers that were all, they see me, they go, oh, Miss Dinga, we really miss doing the shows. We need to do shows again. And I'm going, you do? Are you sure? <laughs> I happen to have a theater that needs a show. What was I thinking? But <laughs> I said two things. One, you're not going to get paid. There's no money. Number two, you're going to have to rehearse, you know, in and around your crazy life and your jobs and your kids or whatever. And we'll probably take about three months to rehearse this because we're going to be able to do it a couple hours at a time. And then the, the week of the show, I need you for that whole week, you know, to rehearse every night, get you in costumes, which I scramped, you know, I went all over town. I didn't have any costumes. I went all over town and borrowed stuff that were in people's warehouses and stuff and put this, my first show on, on 2010. And then I, and then every, every year I did another one. And then it became, you know, maybe two times a year. I did, I did it for 10 years. I had, and that's when I started my production company was to, to, to start doing all this stuff. And, and I got a lot of dancers back on stage, you know, way, way beyond their prime, but still looking amazing. And they loved it, loved it. And then that's when I acquired all these costumes from Greg Thompson. I said, Greg, get any costumes you don't want? So now he sends me all his costumes. Ah, there's two headpieces. My, my little garage downstairs. Oh, my know? gosh. Yeah, because I'm trying to do a show when it feels like we can do it here. I was going to do Century Ballroom. So I picked up things from those garage sales. like Because Mimi yeah. would say, come on down. There's still stuff. And there's two headpieces that are way beyond what I, they're 500 a piece. And Greg uh -huh. goes, uh. As they go, just make an offer. So if they don't sell, but I'm like, I can't afford that, but I've been acquiring, but they don't match. Like I've got like two of these, yeah, two of these, because I can only afford a few at a time, but to know that they're in, they're being used is really great. Cause that's the sad part of just like Karen Burns has. I've been waiting. I've been waiting forever for all the white costumes. I have all the pink costumes, the ones that you saw in legends. Those are great. Thompson. I got okay. all of those. Okay. And then, um, but then I, they needed costumes and they wanted to rent them and they rented them for a year. And I said, why don't you just buy them? I'm ready to let them go. Just keep them on stage. And so yeah. they did, they paid for them a lot of money, but those were from my showgirl show. That was in, that was all about the HBO special of glitz and angst. Yeah. You ever seen no, that? but yeah, that um, that's on, I think you can see it on Amazon. They they played it on Amazon for a while. Amazon okay. had it. It was a, a documentary of the making of that show. But um, but then the finale of that show were these beautiful white long pheasant, not pheasant, but coke feathers, long white coke feathers. And there was 12 of them, 12 sets of these beautiful hats that were all coke feathered hats and big coke feathered cuffs. And then all the jewels that went with it. And I've been waiting for years to get a hold of those. And I and Mimi, I talked to Mimi. I said, you know that those are mine. You can't sell those to anyone else. And she says, I know. You just have to come up here and get them. And I went, okay. And I said, well, what is he going to charge? No, you can come up here and just get them. So I promise you, if you need some costumes, you just tell me when and they're yours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause that's the thing if is when I, I do all this 12 of those, I, I have no room for them. I'm not going to yeah. take all of them, but I want them. 
I deserve right. them. And they, yeah. he is not going to sell them to somebody else. He's going to give them to me. And then I'm going to spread them around. Oh, yeah. Because to know that they're, in a, they're being used because that's, that's like they need to be on stage. Because I want, when I do my show, I don't want it to be like, oh, here's some jazz dancers wearing heels. I really want it to the epitome of the showgirl and the glamour. And we did a photo shoot and I've got mainly like Mardi Gras beads hanging on seagulls. Like, no, 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 that's a practice one. I don't want it to be like, oh, bless their heart. Like there's a dazzle that we're missing. Like when you, that's what I liked at Legends. Aren't those some of Greg's costumes that were yours, the pink? The pink, yeah, those are, those so are, those are the ones. Cause I'm like, there are some beautiful costumes. And when I interviewed Peter, I, he took me backstage at Legends and lowered one of the hats on for me. And he said, you have to put this on before I do the interview. So it was just so fun to be around all that and see like, okay, they still exist. Because I know that the shows are gone, but to yeah. know the costumes are, are still they're living. Rare. They're rare. Yeah. Yeah. And when they are, and when people do have them, they're holding on to them tightly. But me, yeah. I'm at that point now where I need to pass them on because I don't see myself doing another showgirl follies type show you know really? again. i i might i might do it later maybe of one big show and maybe if i can get a whole week out of everybody instead of just one night it's yeah. just too much work for one show um yeah. but i am um i'm thinking about um getting them first from him and then breaking them up into groups of things for people to use so mm. you, you need some costumes. Don't you just, you, you pay for the shipping and okay. just get them to you. And that's no problem. I just did a few, you are a real showgirl. I was never a showgirl. Mm. I, I've always been an admirer of showgirls and my, from my very first time of seeing those girls on the, in that parking lot, turning around in this parking lot, which by the way, this is so, this is what's so really cool. 10 years later, the guy who bought that hotel took those statues and opened a hotel in Prim where Greg Thompson and I put in a show down there. And that's when I saw those statues. Again. Really? And now how, how is that not just somehow somebody in the universe just playing games with you how is we that didn't, not possible you that that wasn't that part wasn't recorded we talked before recorded so you yeah. had gone to vegas and trying to figure out where you're going to stay right and you chose the hotel because of those because rotating showgirls out and out in the parking lot on these big tall you know poles and i was just dazzled i remember standing it was winter it was cold and it was really cold I think there was even snow here. It was one of those weird times where we had snow here. And I'm looking up and looking at these showgirls and they were just posed, you know, and they were all different. They weren't the same. But then 10 years later, we ended up working for the guy that bought those statues and put them in the front of his hotel in Prim. And that's where, you know, Shelly Renee? No. She's from Seattle. Shelly oh, really? She went to work and she came here and worked for Greg. Um, for a while, she worked for Greg in, in um, Seattle, in, in Valley Forge, because she's not really a dancer, but she got a job at um, Crazy Horse. She was one of the butts. Oh, know, really? Crazy Horse statues, the crazy, yeah. um, crazy girls, I mean, crazy girl show. And um, 
she was in that show because it was a it was a um, it was called Sideshow was the name of the show that we did, and uh, I'll never forget. It was almost as if there's no way that those statues <laughs> show up there. I said, "Were these in a hotel on top?" He goes, "Yes, I I, I own that hotel, and then I closed it and moved them here." I went, "Oh my god!" It's, and they're leading you. I'm drawing showgirls, and the the showgirls that I'm drawing, just because you wanted to ask me about that, yeah. are costume drawings that I did for proposals that we did for shows. So a lot of those drawings that you see, I did for proposals to show what the girls are going to be wearing in the show when we presented the show to the owners of the hotel for the um, to get the jobs. So oh those gosh. those were the costume drawings that I just, you know, eventually took them and then elaborated them and then turned them into these, the pieces that you see. But they're all costumes from the shows that we did. Well, right when we come, came on Zoom, we were getting our cameras on there. The first thing I saw was that piece behind you that you're still uh -huh. working on. Yeah. If, I want to share, if that is spectacular. It's so beautiful. And you're, and it was interesting because like, I've seen your costume design drawing. Uh -huh. And then to see what the art you're making now. And we were saying before we recorded how people are feeling this nostalgia right. for the show. I went to Jackie's house. There's a picture that someone painted of her. That was Terry Ritter did that one. And it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, it's the classiness. It's this thing that's gone, you mm -hmm. know, this iconic showgirl. And that's, your art is so beautiful because it feels like it captures it mm -hmm. in a really, um, I want to say true way. It's not like the personification of a showgirl. You actually captured, like there's joy, there's a sexiness, there's a, that you show that all in your art. And it's like, thank well, you. You, have to, you actually have to be a dancer to know how a foot is supposed to look. So if you know what a line's supposed to look like, it makes it much more advantageous for a, a, an artist to, who has a dance background to draw that. So I had, I had a lot of things that led up to me doing this all the way down to when I was taking dance classes and my dance teacher actually um, had an art, um, an art gallery showing of all the art from um, local artists. And because I was drawing at the time, some of my art was on the wall of the, of, in the dance school. So my, my love of art and dance has been with me from the beginning and oh. the fact that in my life in my career I'm able to do both of them yeah it's there is no there is no um surprise when oh. you're when you're a kid and you're growing up the fact that my feet were pigeon-toed which is why I got into dance the fact that I love to do art became part of what I did when I danced, I had to have that ability to draw so that I can express what I wanted to see so that I could design the costumes. I never actually built any of the costumes, but Mimi, who you know, yeah. I would take my, my drawings down there and I would show her, this is what I want. And they would make them. And then I would come down and I'd say, oh, that's great, but can you do this? Cause it looks a little clunky. Can we make that more? And then I was able to just point and, and then it was, I'm just the designer. I'm not the wardrobe person. Right. And I had the best job ever during the best time ever. I got to dance. I got to choreograph. I got to design. 
I got to do all of that in such a free ability through Greg Thompson that I'll never be able to ever know what that feels like to not be able to do that. Yeah. Just to know that there are young people out there that will never have that. And hopefully they find a way to get all that some other way, but it was just the perfect storm yeah. to have all of that happen in my life. And that's the reason why my story is just so out there, bizarre, how it comes together. It's not like your typical, oh, this young girl, she's a beautiful dancer, we'll hire her, put her in a show, and she goes off and she does shows, and then she gets she falls in love, she gets married, she has babies, and then she goes teaches, and then her babies go into the shows. And you know, <laughs> those are all the dancers that I worked with. That's their lives. Mine was just what? How did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> That's the part I love of the interviews because it's yeah. like the, the, the way people get there, some of the most unusual ways. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that we found our way there in this time period yeah. where there was just, there was so it's, much. It's so so your art people, I bought your calendar. I bought your color book. So huh? for people to find you, mm -hmm. um, do you have a site for all your art? Like yeah. if somebody wanted to purchase something like that and behind you sell those big pieces too? Oh yeah. Um, you can, anybody can buy any of these. I just, they have to just um, commission them for me. Okay. If you wanted something original. It's, it's one price. That's another thing I've got. I've got five commissions. I haven't started yet that are from dancers who want their, their, their costume, their, their in their favorite costume on their wall. Oh. You know, I've got five that I've got to do and I just keep getting, sidetracked with other things but i am going to get to them this one this one i is a commission piece that i did for the wall in this in the nevada room which was where we had the the ron lewis event um this memorial but um but i love that you know that i'm going to be able to do um these drawings for people like i did i did um if you go to my website which is um mistandgetshowgirls.com and you go to the gallery and you'll see some of the drawings I've done. And, but if you look down where it says new art, there's a little thing there and you'll see some of the drawings I've done from people that actually commissioned drawings of themselves. And I've done that. And that's something I've been concentrating on more so because there's a lot of people like us who are retiring that would just love to have that one souvenir, you know, yeah. them in their favorite costume or a um, some kind of memory of them, you know, dancing. So. Which is, that's way different than sticking a photo or a print of yourself up there. Like that's a beautiful piece of art. Mm -hmm. And I was saying before we recorded, like there's a lot of the, um, of us, like when I share each episode, like on Facebook, I'll show mm -hmm. people will share their photos and then people get all excited to see the costumes. They love the backstage pictures and that brings all these memories. And like, where's my photo albums? So people start bringing their photo albums out that yeah. hadn't looked at them. And I think it's, we're in this period where we're understanding that this was a really unique time. We were a unique bunch of people and like wanting to preserve it, but also celebrate it. Like I keep looking at that picture. That's so amazing. And I want to ask mm -hmm. um, also about the boot camp. Right. So how that started, because that's a wonderful thing. I love the pictures. Like these are people that probably aren't dancers, right? Right. That, that want to experience this, this. Yeah. What this, what this started out being was when I was, when I was teaching the, the boot, the showgirl follies, I, I made it out to be a class 
So I would invite dancers to come to a class. That way it wasn't a rehearsal. And I was working on a combination. I'd say, okay, let's working on a combination. This wasn't a class in like, okay, let's warm up and we do the warm up. I'm not that kind of teacher. I never taught that. So I said, warm up, show up, and we're going to start picking up the combination. And we're going to do this number. And once that number's done, then we're going to run through all the numbers. And eventually we had all these numbers done. Well, people who were not dancers were watching us. And when it came time, we were doing some of the, um, you know, some of the uh, costumes, some of the people from, it was a, um, it was a, uh, it was a gym. So it was like a, uh, it was a gym that had this big dance room. And so some of the people that were coming in for the next classes would see it and they'd say, well, we want to do that. And we're going, well, you know, it's, uh. <laughs> and then my friend Stacy says, well, let's just, let's give them the experience. We'll just get a bunch of headdresses in here. We'll show them a little makeup, you know, let them walk in the costumes. And I, and then it turned into this whole experience. We said we could pay they could pay to do this and that's when I went okay well then I'm gonna have to make headdresses so I made 10 headdresses and um and then and then I said well what else can you put on someone that doesn't have to be sized to that person and then had little chokers that we can size and then just um like like bands with feathers on the arms so that's basically it it's the headdress the choker and the armbands and then we just show them we, we show them how to do their makeup. That takes a, the big, biggest part of it. Some of these girls have never worn makeup before. So we sell this like for groups or whatever, and all these people get together and they come, they, and they have champagne, you know, all you can drink champagne with gummy bears in them. And, and oh my then gosh. they get their makeup on, then we dress them up in the costumes. And before we do that, we, we take the before picture and then the after picture. And then I make a certificate up with the before and after pictures. Cause I have this little machine that prints out these little photos. And then, um, and then, then Stacy, you know, we dress them up and then Stacy shows them how to walk and they put on the music and then we take a video of it and we post it on TikTok, and we do these little TikTok videos of all these little parties. Oh and man, that's smart. We, we sold tons of these during the pandemic because people were just looking for something to do that was crazy we started off being masked and doing it masked and after a while we just went okay we're vaccinated we're taking them off you know and then um but there's small groups you know like yeah fours and twos and we had oh your kitty cat oh i just ran up the ladder yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know mine's been very quiet he's usually like right here as soon as I record the, the cat will at, at one point in the interview decide it's time to yeah, sing. It's got to <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so that's how it got started. And now we just, we're, we're putting online and it's mostly word of mouth. It, and then we just, we have like four or five of them this month. And then we got some coming up next month. And we got a whole group of um, older uh, beauty queens that want to do it. Like 15 beauty oh, queens want to come really? in going, oh my God, I don't have 15 headdresses. <laughs> I have to do it in sections or something. So um, yeah, so it's fun. And so, and then what we do is we talk about the times and the showgirls and, and what it's like and how it works and how Stacy, who is, um, she's my partner in this project, you know, had both her feet rebuilt because she completely wore them down dancing and how um, wow. it's not as glamorous and easy as 
as you think. And so when they put the headdress on, they go, whoa, this is heavy. I'm going, this is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you don't have a backpack on, you don't have a G-string on, you don't have fishnets on, you don't have five-inch heels on. You're, 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 just, you're just taking a walk in the park, girl. But they would be like, oh, how do they do this? You know, we're going, oh my gosh. Yeah. So they get the sense of it. They have fun. They get makeup tips and they get champagne and get a little tipsy and send them on their way. What a, that's an experience though. Yeah. Because when Athena and I were also down in Vegas, you see the girls that are saying they're showgirls. It looks kind of more like Mardi Gras with the hair hanging down there wearing booty awesome. shorts. We're like, oh, yeah. And it's like, but they're, but people don't even know that that's not a showgirl. That's, that's what's what the sad part. To, that's what we explained to them. There's, there's real showgirls. And then there's showgirl impersonators, just like there's the real Elvis. And then there's impersonators. Those right. girls are not showgirls. Those girls are girls wearing showgirl, bad showgirl costumes. And um, just for the photo ops, yeah. you, you will not see a real showgirl down there, you know, walking around in those ridiculous <laughs> costumes right. for tips. They can't, yeah. even, they can't even charge money. They have to. They have to ask for tips. Really? Yeah. I was wondering how what, who's paying them to do that because the hotels aren't making any money on that. I I I even mentioned it one time to um, to someone who knew the mayor. I said, "Why don't you take real showgirls and um, and like you would with t- cab drivers or anything, and just put together a company that actually." handles this and makes it classy having these trashy versions of of what is a a real um classy um and and uh what's the word um honored profession and cheapen it like that shows bad taste Mm. for the city Mm-hmm. And it's just not right that you don't take control over that and require them to have a certain um, costume, you yeah. know, yeah. And fishnets or, or stockings of some kind because their asses hanging out and the G-strings are nasty. Oh, it's just nasty. <laughs> but we, we explain to people the difference between those showgirls and real showgirls and the difference between a showgirl and a dancer and, and how... Um, you know, how the whole industry, um, the way the shows were, and we tell stories and we try to educate as well, mm. preserve the, uh, the, the feel of it. Yeah, that's the part, like I said, I wanted to talk to you because you are preserving this history. I'm a preserver. <laughs> and I just like Sue, Sue Kim. Mm-hmm. She's you know? amazing. Yeah, and I went to the UN, UNLV archives and they just did like a talk about jubilee at the 40th anniversary and like it's important to her and it's important that it's with the integrity of what it was not the people what people are assuming so we have to wrap up eventually this is just so good because I had had like 12 questions along the other one like no we'll do part two so your name I just read Josephine Baker's I guess there's a lot of biographies and they say it's Mm kind of hard to know what's a true story because she even said she embellished and so it was a really great one and she refers to Mist and Get is I'm gonna say it's the 20s 30s mm-hmm. 20s do you have do you have any connection that you feel like with your name towards her because I feel like there was a rivalry between the two of them no my name Mistinget was a, a name that I took after my divorce when I divorced my husband um 
he did not want me to keep his the name his married name because I was going into show business. Oh, really? Yes, in Las Vegas. He didn't. He was in a. He's in a very um, conservative field, and to know that his ex-wife is quote a dancer in Las Vegas with his last name made him very uncomfortable. And I said, well, fine, you can keep your last name. Right. I'm not going back to my maiden name. So I might as well just come up with a stage name, my own name. And then I became legally Mistinget. Not something Mistinget, just Mistinget. The yeah. one word Mistinget. Now this is the 80s. So you're talking about you're talking about a time when one name was not a big deal. Okay, fine. Share. Yeah. And, and so it wasn't until 9-11 that it became a problem having two names. You had to have two names. You had to have a name, the first name and a last name. And I said, well, it's a single name. So do what you got to do with it. But the original Mistinget actually was not named Mistinget. The name Mistinget is actually of a woman who, whose last name was um, Bougeot or Bougelet, Jean, Jean or Jean Bougelet. And she was known when in her career before she became a big star in Paris along the same time with Josephine Baker, they were big rivals. She was known as, she was a dancer who had an act and they, her and her dancer um, partner would do this act, it was an apache. You know what an apache is? Oh yeah, yeah. The French kind of the, the French abuse, really abusive throws her to the floor. Very dramatic. Right. Yeah, they did this apache dance. Well, what happened is their act was he, um, the male partner, would show up at these um, places called tinguettes. They were like outdoor gazebos in Paris. They're called tinguettes. And um, they would perform these shows. So like after the other shows, all these people would go to these tinguettes and have dinner and desserts and after dinner drinks and stuff, you know, late into the, the early days of the early hours. But they, would, they were street performers and this guy would show up with a big carpet thrown over his shoulder and he would walk into the middle of the performance area, put the carpet on the ground and then unroll the carpet and Miss Tinguette was in there and she'd pop out and then the music would start and they would do this apache dance and they would do their whole dance and then at the end she would die and he would roll her up in the carpet <laughs> throw her over his shoulder and take her to the next gig <laughs> so oh my she was known as the great uh, woman who played the Tinguette or Miss Tinguette that's how she got her name. Really? And she loved that name so much. And it was given to her by a journalist who wrote an article about her. So when she became a big star, she was Miss Tinguette. And she was the star of the Moulin Rouge. She's the one who discovered Marie Chevalier. And oh, wow. um, she, was, she was something. She was really something. So I really read up on her. So when I took her name... I thought, God, this is a great name. It'll look great on billboards, you know, yes. and it'll be easy to go. The Mistinget dancers. And I thought, one name, no one ever has to know anything about you because your name doesn't give away anything. But oh my gosh, it's it's been a handful having one name. It's not easy. Yeah. You have to explain it. So were you yeah. just coming into because you had a, you had your married name when I met you in 
right. Atlantic City. So when you changed to Mist and Get, was that right when you were coming into that Big Breaks Real? It was 83. So the timing is you are now Mist and Get, yeah. the choreographer, the Mist and Get dancers. Wow, great timing on that. Yeah. That's a fascinating story because I, in the book, it just talks about their rivalry and then they did have to work together who gets higher billing. Uh-huh. So that was like, oh, that's her name. I just was curious of where that came from. And her, and if you ever see um, big posters of Miss Tinget, there's always lots and over the top feathers. She loved feathers. And that came from her mother who was a, um, um, she did hats. Um, she made hats. Milliner, is that their Yeah, a milliner. And um, one of the problems that Miss Dingette would have, because she lived, she had a house in the country. So after her show, she would get home and it would be like just before she, you know, the sun was just about come up because it was like, you know, four or five in the morning. She would just get to sleep and the, the roosters in the farm next to her would like wake her up growing you know when the sun comes up and so they would kept complaining to the neighbors about keeping their rooster in the house or something so he wouldn't crow and wake her up but um one night missing get slept the night because she, she she lived at home with her mother and then one night missing get slept throughout the whole day before she had to go to the theater and she couldn't figure out why and then she saw her mother leave the house with this brand new hat <gasps> It was the rooster. Oh my gosh. Killed the rooster and made a hat out of him. But her mother was part of her fascination with feathers. So there was always big feathered costumes way over the top. Yeah, because her mother is that what coke, coke feathers? That's uh-huh. that's those. That's a rooster tail, right? That's the rooster tail. Because we have the heat wave ones from Hello Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um they were that originally and I have a picture of me wearing that and it was so much broader and then they yeah. changed it to turkey feathers which yeah. totally changed the hat so I learned a lot about feathers on this road trip talking to Pete Menifee and yes when they change like which feathers don't last and which do but that's that makes that even more fun of the rooster story <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end that's a I really so. informative it's a great story this was so great because I always knew you like kind of just like had dancers dancing with you but we never actually I hung oh, I do remember one story in Valley Forge. I had not dressed warm enough. There's air conditioning and it was cold. And you had this huge fur coat and you go, just wear my fur coat. And I remember just like, oh, just sitting there. It was for the Valley Forge show. I had the big birthday cake slice. I went to see oh, Anne on the show. And I just yeah. remember wearing your fur coat. So we did have a little side-by-side for a short moment. Yeah. I've loved I watching your career. My memory of you, you guys were rehearsing in the disco in Bermuda. Do you remember that? We, yeah, we were doing a photo showroom sh- and you, you had to find a place to rehearse. And so you were rehearsing in the disco. We did the, the disco. We did a ballroom. We were in the hallway. It was always bizarre. We learned most of it in Atlantic City, but mm-hmm. we went to Bermuda. It was just whatever was open. We would rehearse in there. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Did you come down for the opening? Were you there for the show? Which show was that? I was in Follies Go Hollywood. No, that was before okay. me. Okay. Yeah, but we had some great photos in the disco because I remember it was a calendar that Greg did for the for the show. Yeah, yes. And the last one was in the disco and yes. there was all this like dr- the black, dry ice the and black, smoke. The big black yes. uh, wigs. Yes. I remember it. That's how I, I always remember you. I remember seeing you um, a couple times there. And then I remember that photo and I remember your face in that photo. Yours is the one that I remember the most. I feel like I have this complete block of half the things 
or more than half of the things that I went through. When people say, oh, don't you remember this? And I'm going, no, I don't. It was almost like I was always somewhere else. Wherever I was, I was somewhere else. You did come to Bermuda. I remember you came to to Bermuda because I remember you in the hall, like at the hotel at at, Uh Southampton. But just listening to your 42 week a year traveling, I don't, I don't know how you did that because some people thrive in that. To me, that sounds like that would have been fun for mm-hmm. maybe 10, 10 weeks. So that makes sense. You would remember because you you didn't really get to land anywhere. Right. And you're no. as soon as you're you're while you're working on one, you're already I'm getting all, ready for the um, next thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, it was. But but I was con- I was designed for that. Yeah. I remember even being a kid when um, my my brothers and sisters, we would end up getting ready to move again I was so I was the only one excited but oh boy they get to move maybe I'll be popular at that school you know that's what uh, I used to think yeah and my um, brothers and sisters were always just you know always cool and always had lots of friends and always you know right in there and I was always kind of this odd weird guy on the outside that just you know I was I I didn't not like people, but it wasn't just my need to hang out with people. I was happy on the back porch with a box of crayons. You know, I didn't need oh to gosh. play around. I was just happy and content. And so in my condo here, I am content. I have my beautiful showgirl here. I'll take you over here. Natasha, you haven't met her yet, but this is Natasha. I don't know if you can see her. Oh my gosh. Is she, she didn't happen to live at the Southampton, did she? No. We no. had a name for that one in the entryway. It looks, oh, wow. Is that, whose design is that? This is the, this is the same bra. And um, this is the costume that I did for, um, for the, the pink costume. This is one of those pink costumes that you saw on oh, stage. Yeah. This is, wow. this was one of the showgirl um, helmets. And there's just lots of feathers and G's. And this is Natasha. <laughs> She's. I love that I can see a refrigerator. We got Natasha and your kitchen. This yeah, is the per- perfect life. <laughs> yeah. She's just there to greet everybody. And I always thought that that would be it. My, I always thought that that's what I would have is I would just have a bunch of mannequins dressed in pretty costumes hanging <laughs> around my condo. That's it. You always got someone to talk to. Do you, do you feel settled in Vegas? Does that feel like you can stay planted for a like while? This condo is, yeah, this is going to be home for me. And like I said, because I didn't really have home for very long, yeah. I'm content to just be home. I've yeah. traveled all over the world. I don't need to travel to enjoy a vacation. Home is a vacation for me. I want to set up my art studio. I just want to do more art and, um, and less dancing. Yeah, and, uh, I think I got one more project I got to do. I have a friend of mine who just opened a theater in Reno and he needs me to choreograph, um, put together a show that we've done before, but cast it and put that together for him. So I'm going next month there to Reno to do that. And then probably a Christmas show for him. And that's probably about it. Um, well, I'm so glad to talk to you. I'm so glad you're doing this you. preservation. And I fun. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to share your um, website for your boot camp and your arts because I think when people hear this and they see, you know, that they can purchase your, I think you've got mugs and phone cases and I have all that. I just don't have I don't have a store online. Right. So 
all people just have to do is call me. And because I have so many images, I can't possibly carry that much product. Right. So if somebody wants a mug with a certain image on it, all they got to do is tell me and I'll make it up for them and send it to them. Okay. In well, the meantime, I'll start another mailing list for, um, for calendars for next year. So. Yeah. So maybe when we post your photos, like anything you want to send me of your dancing days, your choreography days, all okay. those, and then some of your artworks so people can um, check it out and support you because it really is feels like the timing is so good. People want uh -huh. to own these beautiful pieces of work to, to show we yeah. did this. Yeah. Okay. My friend, I'm in a next road trip. I hope to see yeah. you in person. I just want to hang out yes. and talk for next many more time, hours. Next time you come and we will, we'll hang out. Okay. Awesome. That sounds so good. So thank you, Mist and Get. And I love knowing more of the history of the name. So that's even makes this more fun to end with. <laughs> okay. Be well. Okay. You too, love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.